children like Habakkuk. But you are at work, and we are confident in this. And so, Lord, we worship you, we praise you, and we pray that you will speak to our hearts as we look to your word tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, why don't you open the Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, please. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. The message entitled, God's Role for Children. And this is part 1. We have been studying the order of God's has a purpose and established for the Christian family and have seen the importance of each member recognizing and living up to his and her own particular role. First to God, then to the family. We have also noted that each member can only accomplish their role through the power of the Holy Spirit by the grace of God. Ephesians 5.18 Continued being filled with the Spirit of God. Not through the abilities of our own sin nature, not by education alone, be it secular or Christian, not by the amount of knowledge of the scriptures alone, but by being doers of the word of God through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, too many are attempting to accomplish this in the energy of the flesh, self-confidence, the dependency on knowledge or the latest marriage book, and family, instead of God's grace and the Holy Spirit, failing tragically in the church. I mean, do you think that because people in the first century church didn't know about left-brain men and right-brain men and men and women, the difference that they couldn't be obedient to the family? My Lord, God help us. Are you kidding me? And people get caught up in the things that men and men write instead of what the Word of God says. Everything I read, I have to filter through the Word of God. You ever come into my office, go through my books, I have big slashes, no, stupid, dumb, oh, and everything else. I'm biblical. The basic foundation for the home, as we have stated, is submitting to one another in the fear of God. The result, because of the Holy Spirit being filled uh, continually to the person, Ephesians 5, 18 and 21 again. Again, submission is one of the factors necessary for effectiveness and efficiency. The other is authority here for the children, and there's no exception. They must equally be submissive. So children today are taught and encouraged to trust in their rights by the educators, the state, and the government. To ensure the rights of children rather than to teach and encourage them to be respectful, responsible, and accountable to their parents. The International Year of the Child was the executive order of President Carter in 1979, which marked the 20th anniversary of the Child's Bill of Rights, adopted in 1959 by the United Nations, the UN, the United Nothings, the educational and scientific and the cultural organizations. Though some children need protection from adults wanting to harm and abuse them, the problem is with how the bill has come to be interpreted through the last 37 years in its progressive order of other laws that have been passed since then to the present, 1979 to 2016. Secular humanists of our day are attempting to protect children by liberating them from the following. Listen carefully. Traditional moral values, 
The real solution requires a fundamental change in the value, commitment, and the actions of the persons who control the public and private sector of our common life, parents. White House Conference on Children's Report to the President. Wow. Their recommendations were daycare center, programs that have over 8,000 hours to teach the children values, fears, beliefs, and behaviors, theirs, not God's. Second, parental authority. Quote, we recommend that laws dealing with the rights of parents to be re-examined and changed when they infringe on the rights of children. One of these being to limit the parents to spank or discipline their children. That's way back there. Now it's almost there, almost as a law completely. It's accepted, but not legal yet. Thirdly, discrimination. The child shall be protected, and I'm quoting, from practices which may foster racial, religious, or any other form of discrimination. United Nations Declaration of the Rights of the Child. In other words, you have no right to teach your child Christianity or any other religion that they can and will be removed from the home so that there be no forced influence of religion. And those things have happened already and many have been thrown in jail, especially school-taught kids at home, different things. It's not an isolated thing. Fourthly, nationalism and patriotism. The recommendation was that schools should use the means they prescribe to combat family experiences that favor the attitude of patriotism and nationalism. The public schools have done a good job as we see the universities graduating their armies of anti-Americanism and anti-Christian every year. And we see it now after eight years of the last administration of no patriotism at all. In fact, anti-patriotism. <clears throat> schools and the media teach that there are no such things as absolute right or wrong, as you know. Instead, they teach the broken homes, illegitimate children, immoral relationships, homosexuality. All of these are accepted as legitimate, alternate lifestyles. That all, uh, all, all they need to do is to be tolerant and not be judgmental towards anyone. The latest attack on parents... And the family is the national database that was um, buried in the stimulus bill of 2009 by President Obama, Reed, and Pelosi to attack every student in the public school system from preschool through career. Even though current federal law prohibits it, they're tracking them. One put it this way. The Obama Department of Education bribed the states to give up their 10th Amendment right by threatening to withhold stimulus money if they didn't comply with the new regulation. By passing Congress and rewriting federal law, the database infringes on the privacy of the student and the rights of parents. Collecting medical information, family income, voting status, etc. Information that can and will be used by the government at will and as they will when uh, went into effect January the 3rd, 2012. It's in this anti-family and anti-parental authority 
of our day that the believer is called to obey God's word, not cultural indoctrination. The context of our passage tonight is addressing Christian children, those who have the charge of life in a changed life by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They have the ability and the potential, so they're charged with their duty as much as husband, wife, and parents. And so the Christian youth is commanded by God to be responsible in only two things. First, to obey parents, which speaks of the child's action. That's verse 1 of chapter 6. The actions of obedience are only broken at the time of marriage when a new home and authority is established. Second, the honor of father and mother, which speaks of the attitude of respect, verse 2 and 3. The attitude is permanent, even after being married as evidence of love for parents. Respect and honor is there. That doesn't mean you obey them, something's unbiblical, but respect and honor is there. Now, Paul instructed children as to their conduct in relationship to the Christian family here in verse 1 of Ephesians of chapter 6, which is characterized by three things. Let me read here, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. First, the person's address are children. Second, the personal instruction to obey their parents. Thirdly, the particular reason, it is right. We begin with the person's address. They are children. Notice the children are Christian children. This is the context. The word that is used for children, technically refers to a child, produced a son or a daughter by the married couple. No specific age or sex is implied here. They're living within the home. And the word is used some 90 times in the New Testament in this wide range. This would apply to all who live in the home, offspring of the parental um, uh, handling and under that control. The child and parent relationship is intricately tied together. The children affect the parents, the parents affect the children, but the parents are the authority that we're going to see. Okay, very important. The one will affect the other, but it is the parent that is responsible for the child to influence them, not the reverse. Everything you see on TV, everything in commercials, everything in, in education is the reverse. For the children to command and affect their parents. And there are too many dumb parents that allow that to happen. Sorry, I'm not politically correct. It's just the way it is. The child and parent relationship is intricately connected. That is, we study both. And so we will at times cross over here one for the other because they're so intricately tight and we can't help that. So we will overlap some things. Now, the children are to be taught the word of God that clearly focuses on the marriage and the family structure. Uh, listen to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The parents are the ones responsible for the motivation by their love of their, of, for God. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord 
your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, 4 and 5. This is the Shema of Israel. The very focus and heart of the family and relationship. The instruction for children is specified by God for all life. Verse 6 and 7 there of Deuteronomy says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them as you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. That means all the time. The home is to be that which visibly represents the awareness and consciousness of God. Deuteronomy again, verse uh, 8 and 9 of the same chapter. 6, it says, You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, meaning the phylacteries. You shall put them as a frontlet between your forehead, the phylactery box. You shall write them on your doorpost, the masusa that you kiss and you put your hand on it, on your, the, the door of your gates. And the children are a gift from God to the parents for the purpose that they might be a godly offspring, Malachi 2.15. Notice the reason children must be taught is that they enter this world with a sin nature. And they need to be restrained regarding the wrong they will naturally choose. People think that kids are naturally innocent. No, they're not. They're just not smart enough and coordinated enough to do what they will in a few years. But sin nature is in there. It is embedded just like in the seed of an apricot tree. You plant it, it will bring apricots, not cherries. And you bring a child into the world and they will be professional sinners. Paul tells the Romans that every person is born a sinner. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. Death is the result of sin due to the fact that every baby born inherits sin nature and begins to die at birth. First breath, first day, is the first day of their death. <laughs> but we celebrate their birth, right? No child has to be taught to lie, steal, or hit another. They do that naturally. And they perfect it as they grow up, being dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. The contrast by the new birth is clear. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, verse 1 of Ephesians 2. The sphere of life is pointed out in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedient, Ephesians 2.2. 2. The personal involvement and responsibility is declared in verse 3. Listen. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Public schools have um, opted out to abandon morals and ethics, focusing on self-esteem 
in facilitating children in their sexual expression by handing out condoms, forcing them to grow up confused about right and wrong, blurring all the boundaries. They've been very faithful, diligent teachers. A first grader at Tunkel School in Brooklyn, Massachusetts, underwent classroom counseling about the pending sex change operation of one child's mother. Soon to be his father, reported the Boston Globe, or Glebe. The only one notified of the session was the transsexual, who, as part of the process, spent a great deal of time in the classroom. How interesting, huh? Indoctrination. Control. The children of unbelievers have been given up to the secular world philosophy of situational ethics and value clarification, ladies and gentlemen. To the educational institutions and preschool is being promoted as making a child more successful in life. What a joke. Where is the proof? Not to mention the daycare centers. The agenda and the truth of it is they want your children as early as possible to remove them from your authority and from your teaching so they can influence them. Many children spend countless hours in front of video machines, computers, or worse yet, MTV for their learning about life. Many of them in the 90s arrive from home to empty homes without supervision, left themselves in. They were called latchkey kids. Proverbs 5, 21 through 26 says, For the ways of man is before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his thoughts and paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. It's a willful ignorance. It's not without warning. The children of the 70s to the 2016 have been raised with humanistic philosophies that have replaced our Judeo-Christian values of the past. Rather than being raised by the parents, the village has raised the child, as Mrs. Hillary Rodden Clinton preached, we should do from 1992 to 2000. The only problem with the village raising the child is that the child thinks that the village belongs to him, doing as they please without boundaries, right or wrong, and having no consequences, resulting in a present entitlement generation. Much of the behavior we see in children and teens today is a direct fault of parents for not having been parents. Bottom line. Don't get me wrong, there are children who choose to do wrong and there will always be such children. But every one of them, or them, are responsible for their actions, but the greater responsibility is upon the parent. Even a child is known by his deeds, the scripture says, whether what he does is pure and right, Proverbs twenty eleven. They have a conscience, but if you callous your conscience long enough, you know that, I know that, pretty soon it doesn't bother you. 
When I'm not used to working outside and I work hard, I get blisters within 10 minutes. But when I work hard all the time, my hands are callous, I can work all day. It doesn't even bother me. They're callous. When I competed in gymnastics, these hands were just callous completely. Didn't feel like the driving my, my car. They're just callous. The greater tragedy is that many Christian parents are as guilty of this type of abandonment of their children as well as the Christian children choosing to walk and live for the world. God's verdict of man is declared. Listen carefully. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6.5 Nothing has changed. The flood and time has not altered man's sinfulness. Listen to Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10. The only thing that can offer any hope for a child is the word of God. Listen up, young people. Psalms 119, verse 9 through 12. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. With my heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed be you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. There's a million miles between your heart and your mind. The most important is your heart. The proverb says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. The Hebrew phrase, train up, is a command. And the parents are the ones commanded. Which is also translated, dedicate, such as a house or a temple. It's used like that, Deuteronomy 25 and 1 Kings 8, 63. So they are to be dedicating their children to the Lord. Train up. And because you dedicate them, you train them. More people put more discipline, more time to train in a dog than their children. The phrase, the way he should go, is to be understood as appointed by God. The way his talents, his interests, or inclinations regarding moral or spiritual education to live for God. The purpose is stated. Listen. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is not an absolute guaranteed promise. Or that it is automatic as the exclusion of the child's free will. The parent's responsibility is one and the child's responsibility is the other. To be exercised by their free will to walk and serve God. To say that it is unconditional as a promise is to teach determinism and Calvinism, which contradicts life experience, free will, and many of the Proverbs. You can be the most godly parent and have a child of the devil. And you can be the parent of the devil. And have a godly child. 
because each individual makes a decision in their own life and their own heart. But we as parents have the greater responsibility to influence, to guide, to direct, to check, to pray, to correct, to reprove our children. It is upon us. We'll get to that in a couple of verses. Some of our children may choose not to go to heaven. It's the reality. Maybe a heartbreak, but a reality. The persons addressed are children, those living within the home. Now, notice secondly, the personal instruction is to be is to obey their parents. The instruction to obey is based on the principle of submission. Remember that the command of submission in verse 21 is not just for the wife, but it is a principle applied to every member in the family at home. Wives are to submit to their husband in, in chapter 5, verse 22. Husbands are to submit to their wives by loving them as Christ the church, verse 25 of chapter 5. Children are to submit to their parents by obeying what is right, Chapter 6, verse 1. And parents are to submit to their children by using wisdom and knowledge by bringing them up so that they not provoke them to wrath. In chapter 6, verse 4. It is a submission by loving them much like a husband loving his wife. Servants to their masters or employers. Employees in chapter 6, verse 5. And then masters to the Lord or employers in chapter 6, verse 9. So the principle of submission is to every member of the family. The servants and the masters were part of the home of those days. That's why I put employee or employer. That would be the application for today. Now, notice the instruction to obey is to their own parents. The word obey, hupakuo, is made up of two words. Hupo, under, and akuo means to hear or to give audience. The Christian children... Teens or young adults are to see themselves under the authority of their parents and listen to them, then obey. It's listening, that's the reception, and obeying is the response. They can listen and not obey. This is a term that's used for servants and children, never as a command to the wives. Now, some Christian husbands treat their wives like another child. There's a big difference between a wife and a child. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror, First Peter 3, 6. But the obedience there is in calling them Lord, recognizing his headship. But a wife has never commanded uh, right here this word uh, to obey her husband, but hupotasso to submit to him as unto the Lord. There's a difference. Now, this word hupakuo is used when the wind and the sea obeyed the Lord and it became calm in Mark 8.27. The word for the wife is hupotasso again as a military term to line up under and under authority for effectiveness and efficiency, not as an inferior Now, the tense of the word obey is in the present imperative, a constant, ongoing obedience. There's never a time when a child is not to obey. They're always to obey. Obedience is not an option or a choice to the child, but a command. Obedience is the obligation of every Christian child commanded by God. 
the Roman Empire was not kind to children. Unwanted babies were um, abandoned and often used for slavery or sex trafficking. The weak and deformed were killed. We do it a little different. We just kill them in the womb. Same thing. The commandment to obey is not unreasonable nor unnatural, but in fact, just the opposite. The child is to obey the two parents who have conceived them and through God's divine instructions and institution of marriage based on love and commitment and responsible for their existence. So they're called to obey the ones who conceived them and loved them. What's unreasonable about that? Nothing at all. When you live in a moral, ethical society, when you live in an amoral society as ours, makes no sense at all. In a moral, ethical society, two and two is four. When you live in an amoral society, two and two can be anything. Five, six, seven, eight. It's all subjective. The child is a composite of the two parents, biologically, genetically. The child has similarities of appearances, likeness, and even mannerisms that are undeniable. They talk like their parents, they stand like their parents. Just, it's scary sometimes. The command to obey them is the most logical and sensible thing to do. This is the structure and pattern that God has set up for the efficiency and effectiveness of running the home. There is a caution to obedience that deals only with outward actions that appear to be true evidence of submission but are not being void of submissive attitude. So a child can be obedient outwardly, but inwardly? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. If a person does something with the wrong attitude, the attitude is visible by the quality of the action. But if you do something with the right attitude, though the action is wrong, the action is most of the time honored. Because you see the intent. They wanted to do it right, but their attitude was right, but Maybe they didn't have the know-how, whatever. But if they do an excellent job, but if with a rotten attitude, you might as well not have done it. The value of the outward action is the fact that the attitude is honorable. Being true submission, this will be the focus of the first part of these two verses that we're on. The caution for children, teens and young adults living in the home is that they may think if you are doing what your parent says, even though your attitude is wrong, that you please God. Never. The Bible says that God looks at the heart. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of men. Proverbs fifteen eleven. Samuel went to anoint David, the son of Jesse, and God told him that the that he didn't look on the outward appearance like man, but God looks to the heart, First Samuel 16, 7. I deal with my children, or I did deal with my children uh, when they were growing up, and now even with my grandchildren, more severe for their attitudes and their actions as they were growing up, for sure, and now even as my grandchildren were growing up. 
If I'm only concerned with correcting their actions, they would be manifesting some other way uh, that, that action. So the attitude is the most important thing. If I'm only correcting actions, I'm attacking symptoms. If I correct attitudes, then those symptoms go away. The bad actions. Simple. The change is the caboose inside. The heart. A doctor who treats symptoms instead of the cause is a quack. Some parents are quacks. They deal with actions, not with attitudes. Now the command to obey, notice, is the Lord. In other words, in the sphere of their personal relationship to the Lord, in Christ, in church, hearing and teaching the Word of God. We don't entertain our children here or our teens. They're being taught right now. They're responsible. They're being taught the Word of God, just like you. He being their Lord and Master has supreme authority over their lives and by virtue of their obedience to Him, they obey their parents as a carryover value. If you fear God, respect Him, you're going to respect your parents. If you obey God, you're going to obey your parents, right? Simple. If they were doing it to the Lord, both actions and attitude being one, God is honored. If fear is the only motive for a child or teen's obedience, then it will only be while the parent is present. The true test is when the parent is absent. That's the true test. The limits to obedience by children and teens to parents is only when biblical principles are violated. Acts 5.29 be it against their conscience or against the word of God. If a parent commands a child to do something that's contrary to the scriptures or conscience, then the Bible says that child is to obey God, not their parents. Are we clear on that? Okay? That doesn't mean if a parent says, you know, mow the lawn and clean the garage and make your bed. I, that's unreasonable. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? When it contradicts the word of God or your conscience, morally or ethically, according to the scriptures. That's important. You know, it's like the child who was told by his father to sit down, and he kept refusing. And after telling him repeated times, the father turns and says, If you don't sit down, I'm going to sit you down. The child just kind of looked at him and slithered down. And the child inside says, You know, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Just the way it is. And that only gets worse the older they get. If... They're not broken by the Spirit of God, of their pride. Attitude is the most important. Disobedience in children can be due many times to the lack of consistent boundaries and discipline in the home. Whether it be corporal punishment or restrictions, whatever it may be. The child has no consequences for his or her actions or the consequences are so minor that the child laughs and learns nothing regarding their disobedience. The child that is uncontrollable, usually, though they, there are exceptions, 
doesn't says what they want instead of getting what they need. Correction and discipline. We've all seen the child at the market that is loud and grabbing everything off the shelf. And the mother's ignoring them. And she keeps saying, Johnny, 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 if you do that one more time, one more time. Well, Johnny knows that he's got 150 times before it's the one more time. He needs for her to grab him, go home, and deal with him. Because you have to be careful what you do in public today. It's just real simple. Every child wants to know limits and boundaries. They will be more stable and secure. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen. The Bible teaches physical discipline for the child and youth, contrary to popular opinion and political legislation. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, "He who spares the rod hates." His son, but he who loves his him disciplines him promptly or diligently. Now, don't hit your child, as I said Sunday when we talked about parents with your fists or slap them or the head or the back. But right here, God's given him a well-developed area. Right in his backside, he will not bleed. He will not get broken bones. He will not get any mental trauma or nothing. Trust me. And um, the scripture says, chasing your son while there is hope. And do not set your heart on his destruction, Proverbs nineteen eighteen. And don't use your hand, men. It's heavy, especially when you're angry. Get yourself a little belt, a little paddle. Give time for him to cool. Go think about it. You cool off. So when you go in there, you know why you're disciplining them, not because you're mad. Very important. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, again, the paddle, not a two-by-four, he will not die. You will deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs twenty three thirteen through 14. You remember when you were a kid. You knew you were going to get it. Your dad comes in and you start yelling like some crazy person after the first whack. Because you want him to stop. Listen, take your child beyond the, the hypocritical state and the freak out state until the repentance state. To where he's saying, no, no, daddy, I won't do it again. We're saying, oh, I really love Where he says, I am never doing this again to himself. Simple. Physical spanking is to be applied to that well-developed area God has given. Nowhere else. And not in front of people. And not in front of his son, his uh, Brothers or sisters, one-on-one. 
The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise son will delight in him. Proverbs 23:24. For whom the Lord loves, he chases and scourges every son he receives. Hebrews 12:6. Not in your anger again. Cool off and deal with it. Young people, be careful that you do not fall under the deception of excusing your conduct, blaming your parents for what they did or did not do. You are a new creature. God is able to transform you. So many people hold a grudge against their parents, even now that their parents are unbelievers. Now they're, they're, they're Christians, and they still hold it. If you're a Christian, you have the greater responsibility to forgive your parents. They're, they were dead and trapped in sin. They're non-believers. You need to honor and obey them, not to say what they did is right, but to pray for them, to honor them, to respect them, to pray that they might repent. And for you to say, I forgive you? Wow. Jesus was subject to his parents, Luke 2.5 tells us. On the other hand, too much wrong discipline and not enough proper discipline can hurt the child. Every child is an individual and needs that personal attention, knowing him or her, being able to deal with them accordingly. Children are different. One, per- one child, you can just look at him and that's enough. It's done. The other one, he wants a piece of you. Reasoning with them from the scriptures, praying for them and over them, even as they sleep. Did you know you have a very stubborn child that you pray for as they're sleeping at the foot of their bed and just cry out to God to deal with them? Every child is given to parents by God's love and grace that we might conform them into Christ, not into our own image but the image of Christ. Children are like wet cement. I used to work with mud. And one thing you know when you're a mud man is you can work with it while it's wet. When it dries up, drop your trawls off, take your pads off, come back and break it out tomorrow. Once it's set, you're not doing anything with it. Children are like wet cement, but it's very short time they harden up. The best place to seek proper instruction for, for the children is the Bible. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Genesis to Revelation, really. But those books are incredibly wise. Do not verbally abuse your children. You'll scar them. Words are worse sometimes than a good spanking. Choose your words well. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are your children of one's youth. Psalm 127, 3 and 4. You've got to keep those arrows straight so they can fly straight by the time they leave home. Because they're crooked. You've got to keep banging them, get them straight, so you can aim them towards heaven. So the personal instruction is to obey their parents. Notice third and last here, the particular reason is for, this is, one word, right. Wow, how simple. The reason for obedience is because it is right. The phrase means well-pleasing, proper, appropriate. The action of obeying is the only befitting and righteous thing to do, equitable, just, and meet. This is what God intended from the beginning. This is what pleases God. This is what is going to bring harmony in the home. 
This will make the parent's job much easier and enjoyable as well as the child. Notice the reason must be examined in the day it was written. You've got to put it in context, okay? If you say, well, you know, today we're a little different. Okay, listen up. Buckle up. The day that Paul was writing this letter was when Rome, Roman law was known as patria potestos was in force. The law stated that the father had absolute authority over his child as long as he lived. So a father could sell, imprison, enslave, or even put to death his son, regardless of his age, whenever he wanted. We have such a law today? Nope. Then we don't have it as bad, do we? As children. <laughs> the father could do any of these. Many of the children, teens and young adults, did not live in Christian homes, remember. And Paul was telling them to obey their pagan parents. I think too many times teens and young adults play games in church and only use their Christian or their Christianity for their own benefit. Some children and teens slander falsely their parents or misrepresent their parents while their parents really are doing a good job. Remember, God searches us and knows us. He looks at the heart, the intentions, the motives. He understands our thoughts from their very origin. Psalm 139, 1 and 2 tells us. You see, the reason given clearly declared that there are absolutes that do not change with time. This is 2,000 years later, still as effective and as authoritative as it was in the days of Paul. And that society was worse than ours for children. The temporal and transient culture, mores, the ethics of society do not replace the permanent truth of the Bible. There are absolute right and wrong. There is nothing wrong with making judgments on actions, words and deeds. In fact, we are commanded to do so. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord, Colossians 3.20 says, the sister epistle. In all things, no exception, referring to all that is biblical and right in the sight of God, but not if parents order them to do evil or wrong, Acts 5.29 again. Some children are prohibited by their parents to go to church or to read the Bible. They must obey God and suffer the consequences. Matthew 10, 37-39, Luke 14, 25-27. You must obey God. This is well-pleasing, meaning fully agreeable with God. And His Word acceptable. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I beseech you by the mercy of God to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be fashioned to this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind to prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Verse 2. That's for everybody. Thayer's Greek defines it as one who is such as he ought to be. Well-pleasing. 
Today's pop psychology and quote, 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 Christian psychology wants you to believe that you can justify or excuse your disobedience to your parents or God because of what was done to you as you were growing up by labeling the family and people as dysfunctional, codependent enablers, but God's word doesn't buy it, but holds you responsible for your conduct as a new creature in Christ to impart forgiveness to those who perhaps hurt you, victimize you, or abuse you. Are we clear on this? We are debtors to forgive others. Because no one will ever sin against me as much as I have sinned against God. Real simple. Romans um, gives us a long list of characteristics of the non-believer, one being disobedience to parents in Romans 1, 29 and 30. Too many children and teens today are leading, are letting the sun go down in the wrath and not repenting or resolving the issues of the day in their hearts, Ephesians 4.26. Allowing their anger to lead them to sin which shapes and forms their character. Paul gives to Timothy the characteristics of the last days. Listen in 2 Timothy 3, 2-5. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Again, Romans that I gave you first also says that. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And from such people, turn away. Disobedient to parents, one of those characteristics. God told Samuel that, again, he was going to kill Eli's sons and Eli for not restraining his children from their evil, honoring them more than God, and they for taking the best sacrifices and causing the people of God to abhor the offerings of God and as they laid with the women in the tabernacle. First Samuel chapter 2 and chapter 3. Because the parent did not restrain the sons. Today, children and teenagers are capable of the most hideous crimes, physical violence and attacks of vengeance, furious outbursts with bodily harm to playmates. Age is not a factor anymore. Cruel and senseless stabbings to infants by young children for jealousy. New York, five teenagers looking for a free uh, meal place a $60 order for Chinese food to an abandoned house. Ambushed the restaurant owner who made the delivery and beat him to death with their fists and a brick. Police said afterwards the four boys, one girl, fled to one of the homes to eat the food, leaving behind the battered restaurant owner, alone with several hundred dollars and another bag of food he was carrying. He was killed without provocation and without reason, Queens District Attorney Richard Brown said Wednesday. The teenagers aged 14 to 17 were charged with second-degree murder, first-degree manslaughter, robbery and criminal possession of a weapon in the death of Shem Jim Liu, 44. That's the year 205. 
That's 11 years ago. Makatoa, Iowa. They were the best of friends, inseparable. Tara Tailman, 15. Lynette Brodenhofer and Amanda O'Mara, both 12. Always hung out together. After Wednesday, authority says Tailman and uh, Brodenhofer allegedly doused O'Mara with gasoline and set her on fire over apparent jealousy about a boyfriend. The girls were charged with felony charges of willful injury that is punishable by up to 10 years in prison for adults, 2005. People are continually saying that kids are maturing faster today. Why? Because they are introduced to evil at a very early age and there are no restraining consequences. Not to mention the acceptance of the breakdown of sexuality, which becomes more hostile in society, particularly homosexuality, and the alternate lifestyles. Look at verse 1 again. It says, it is right for the child to obey the parent. Nothing is said about the child's rights for a child for a Christian parent will protect the right of his child out of love. They're not going to be trying to hurt their children. The Children's Bill of Rights has to a great extent removed the rights of parents indirectly and directly teaching children they do not have to obey their parents. Children's Services informs children they have power over their parents by accusing them and manipulating them as they please. Real simple. It's implied. Do not misunderstand me. I am glad abused children are protected. But I think that today possibly many children are hurt as they are removed from the authority of their parents who are absolutely innocent and love their children. Their only crime is attempting to teach their children to be moral, ethical, and obedient. Authority and submission are God's order for effectiveness, ladies and gentlemen. When a society breaks down, we must obey God rather than man. And so those of you who are under the authority of your parents, you need to pay heed. You need to obey God. So the particular reason is that, you ready? It is right. That's it. Why do I have to obey you? Because it's right. Go into your room. And so, Paul's instruction to children regarding their conduct and relationship to the Christian family is characterized by the person's address. Children. The personal command to obey their parents. A particular reason, this is right. I mean, count the words in verse 1. If man would write it, it'd be volumes. Sociology, psychology, anthropology. Wow. Sometimes it seems too simple, doesn't it? 
But sin nature is very, very stubborn. But God's power is greater. But we must die to self. We must yield to God, and God can do that great work. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for just your word. That you alone can transform us, Lord, be it father, mother, children in the home. And how you use that for your glory, Lord. So, Father, we pray tonight that you deal with our hearts. And, Father, there's any um, young adults that are here still at home, they would pay heed to you and obey you. And so, Lord, we love you. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the Internet. And God has spoken to you. If you don't know God, then your sin is separating you from God. But God sent his son to die in your place, and he paid the price for your sin on the cross. And when his blood was shed, that was the token that is able to forgive you of your sins. Whatever it is that you have committed, whatever it is that has been done to you, as you call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to forgive you as a sinner, he will cleanse you, he will make a new creature of you, and he will give to you a divine nature, eternal life, the power of the Spirit to understand God's Word so that you will be transformed from day to day, from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. That is what God offers you. So if you want to be born again right now, whether you're here or over the radio, this is your prayer to God and He's going to make you a child of God right now by faith. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.